Well, friends, again, as we go through this worship service, a reminder that in this season of Advent, between Thanksgiving and Christmas, the word Advent has such significant meaning for us, and it's such a great reminder this time of year to, to remind us of the reason for the season. You see, the word Advent literally means arrival. And of course, as we march towards Christmas and we celebrate the birth of Christ or the first arrival of Christ, it's a great reminder of what Scripture says that Jesus will come again. He will arrive again, very differently than the first time he arrived as a baby, helpless, born in a manger, having to grow up and as Scripture says, tempted in every way we've been tempted yet lived a life without sin, living for 33 years on earth, giving his life on the cross for all of humanity who would put their faith and trust in him. Scripture says that Jesus will come again, but in power to reestablish his reign and rule here on earth as it is in heaven. And so in this Advent season, it's a reminder that we live in the space between two Advents. Every moment of your life is bookended by these realities that Jesus has come and he will come again. And it's so easy in the midst of the busyness of life and the, the busyness of you know, Christmas shopping and the busyness of the end of the year to forget that we live our lives in the midst of God's overarching narrative where God is the author of all of history. And it's so easy as we get in the details of our life to forget that that God is sovereign, that God is good, that God knows every single thing that has happened, is happening, and will happen in our lives. And then we live our lives in a particular context. And if you have been growing up your entire life in church, we need this reminder. You know, it says in Scripture that the need to remember who God is is so great because we're forgetful people. In fact, you've heard me say this before. The word remember outnumbers the word believe five times to one. The word remember outnumbers the word trust two to one. We are forgetful people. We can get wrapped up in the life around us and forget how God is working all things together for good for those whom God has called according to his purposes. And so part of us remembering together is going to a variety of Christmas carols during this Advent season. We kicked it off last week. Pastor Mike Morgan, our pastor of discipleship, started off this Christmas season with our Christmas mixtape where we take a look at these Christmas carols that many of you know, that perhaps many of you, you know the melody, you've sung the songs, they're familiar, but they've become so familiar that in some ways we've forgotten the depth, the great theology, the great reminder of what this season is all about and who Jesus is. And so as we get to this song, a very famous song, the title is a question. But before I get to this carol, a reminder that we, you know, go through our lives and we ask many questions. And especially in this Christmas season, we're asking questions like, what brand is this? What price is this? What shipping time frame is this? What restaurant is this? What show is this? We, we ask questions about all these things that are important questions to ask. And yet there's no more important question than what child is this? You see, this Christmas carol was written in 1865. William Dix was the manager of an insurance company. He was the son of a surgeon living in the United Kingdom. He fell ill. 
And for many months, he was holed up in bed, dealing with the fact that his body couldn't do what he had been used to doing his entire life. And so he found himself in a particular place, in a particular situation that he didn't want. Many of us over the last year and a half have had moments, if not days or weeks or months, we found ourselves in positions that, that we didn't want. And every single one of us has managed it differently. We've gone to different things. We've coped in different ways. Well, William Dix, he went to Scripture. And he spent day after day, week after week, month after month, recovering in bed from this, this massive illness, simply reading Scripture. And out of that time, out of immersing his life in God's Word, being reminded of who God is and who we are from God's point of view, he penned three different Christmas carols, famous ones. And the last one was, What Child Is This?, Again, in 1865, it actually borrows from the melody of a famous song in England. That song, called Greensleeves, was a love song written back in the 1500s. And what's so interesting about the songs that were written in the 1500s, they were somber. They had this, uh, you know, kind of heaviness about them. Greensleeves, this love song, was written in a unique time signature for the time. In a six-eight rhythm, it was meant to be a dance song. And so this song was a song of joy. It lifted people up. This is in the middle of the dark ages. And so the song Greensleeves was so famous throughout the land that when William Dix, racked with illness in bed, wanted to apply the truth of what he knew to be true revealed in Scripture, he set it to the famous tune, Greensleeves, this love song. And what a great reminder that we don't have to be great theologians. We don't have to be directors of, of worship. We don't have to be uh, music ministers to create things that extend God's truth. This guy, he was the manager of an insurance company. And it's a great reminder that we don't have to wait until we're kind of at the pinnacle of life to do things for God. He was racked with sickness in bed. And it's also a great reminder that as we see in his life, but we also see elsewhere in scripture, that we can actually use things from this world and redeem it for God's purposes. Here he takes a, a secular love song, takes the melody and applies Christian truth to it. I mean, think about some of the most popular melodies today that are on the Billboard, you know, top 100. Imagine taking some of the melodies of those songs and putting Christ-centered lyrics on top of them. That's essentially what he did. Now let's get to this hymn. And as we get to this hymn, it's a great reminder in this Advent season, again, living in the space between the two comings, the two arrivals of Christ, that this is what this season is all about. All right, so let's dive into this. Again, it begins with a question. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? This question that is posed in a 1865 Christmas carol, again, is the most important question that we can ask ourselves this Christmas season. More important than any other question that we can ask is, what child 
is this. And the writer, William Dix, tries to transport us to that place and time as it's written about in Scripture where Father Joseph and Mother Mary have to leave their, their place of origin and they have to travel to be part of a census while Mary is pregnant and they find themselves in a place that they didn't plan for, delivering their child, whom Scripture says is unlike any other child that's been born because this is the Savior of the world. This is the very Son of God. And so if you would picture, as we ask this question, what child is this who lays to rest on, on Mary's lap? This picture of intimacy, again, set to the melody of a love song. The first people who heard this, this Christmas carol knew the melody. It was patented in London. It was such a famous song, a dancing song, this love song. Immediately, they know that this is perhaps the greatest love song of all time. But the picture that William Dix, the writer of this carol, gives for us is one in which not just a baby asleep on a mother's lap, but there are shepherds and there are angels. You see, there's a, a shepherding motif throughout all of Scripture. Of course, uh, God says to Moses that he would shepherd the nation of Israel. David was a shepherd. These angels who appear to shepherds tell them that they're about to witness the birth of the Savior of the world. Now, what do shepherds shepherd? Well, they shepherd many things, and one of those things that they do shepherd are lambs. I want you to hear this. This is from Isaiah about this shepherd theme. Isaiah 40, verse 11 says this. See, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. This image of God being the great shepherd over all shepherds in some ways kind of bend space and time to imagine that the very shepherd of the world in which we'll get to Jesus talking about himself in that way was born in a manger and shepherds were watching this scene unfold. And it wasn't just the scene of shepherds watching, it was also angels rejoicing. Now there's this picture throughout all of scripture of God creating not just human beings and not just all of creation, but also God creating angels. Now, angels are often misunderstood. We, we take a lot of things that aren't found in Scripture and we apply them to angels. But some of the things that we do know about angels is that, that God created a vast multitude of them. And they were not made in the image of God like human beings are. And yet they, as Scripture says, they long to understand. They long to peer into the relationship that God has with humanity. Scripture says that they, they're fascinated with the good news of the gospel. And so these angels 
are bearing witness alongside with the shepherds, singing praise, singing adoration. You see, there's a picture that's also given in the book of Revelation about what happens day and night. This is found in Revelation chapter 4. Again, this is in eternity future. You see, the carol is looking back at this moment on the first arrival of Jesus. But after the second arrival of Jesus, we see angels continuing to praise the Son of God, praise the King of Kings, praise the Lord of Lords. This is what it says in Revelation chapter 4. This is in eternity future. John writing, after I looked, there was a heaven and a door stood open. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here. And I will show you what must first take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and there in heaven stood a throne with one seated on the throne. And the one seated there looks like Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne is a rainbow that looks like an emerald. Around the throne are 24 thrones and seated on the thrones are 24 elders dressed in white robes with golden crowns on their heads. Coming from the throne are flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And in front of the throne burn seven flaming torches, which are the seven spirits of God. And in front of the throne, there is something like a sea of glass, like crystal. Around the throne or on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with a face like a human face, and the fourth living creature like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and inside, day and night without ceasing. They sing, this is angels, holy, 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 the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall before the one who is seated on the throne and they worship the one who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, singing, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you. You created all things and by your will, they existed and were created. You see, these angels who are bearing witness to the birth of Christ recognize him. They know how to answer the question of, what child is this? Somehow they have the knowledge that God has given them that this again is unlike any other child. This is unlike any other birth. This is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. John 3, 16, this is the gospel. And as it says in Revelation 4 that I just read, that when Jesus arrives again, he will sit on the throne and those angels will praise him day and night, singing holy, 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 you see, in Scripture, in the Hebrew and the Greek language, there's no exclamation point. There's no underline. There's no bold. But when you say something three times, 
It means such wholeness, such completion, such perfection of whatever you say three times. And so to say holy three different times is to say that that Jesus, the Son of God, is perfectly holy. He is completely holy. He is holy, holy. Again, this question of what child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping. What's the answer? This, this, this is Christ the King, but that's just one of a hundred different titles for Jesus. I want you to listen to this. Again, a reminder in the midst of all that's going on in our life, just who Jesus is, who this child actually is. He is our advocate. He is almighty. He is the alpha and omega. He is the great amen. He is the apostle of our profession. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He is the author of life, the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the author of salvation. He is the beginning and end, blessed and only ruler. He is the bread of God, the bread of life, the bridegroom, the capstone, the chief cornerstone. He is the chief shepherd. He is the Christ, the creator, the deliverer. He is the eternal life, the gate, the faithful and true. He is the faithful witness, faithful and true witness even. He is the first and last, the firstborn from among the dead. He's the firstborn over all creation. He is the gate. He is God. He is the good shepherd. He is the great shepherd. He is the great high priest. He is the head of the church, the heir of all things, the high priest, holy and true. He is the holy one. He is our great hope. He is the hope of glory. He is the horn of salvation. He is the great I am. He is the image of God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the judge of the living and dead. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of Jews. He's the king of ages. He's the king of kings. He is the lamb of God that is without blemish. He is the last Adam. He is life itself. He is the light of the world. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the living one, the living stone, the Lord of all, the Lord of glory, the Lord of lords. What child is this? He is the man from heaven, the mediator of the new covenant. He is mighty God, morning star, offspring of David. He's the only begotten Son of God, our great God and Savior. He's our holiness, our husband, our protection, our redemption, our righteousness, our sacrificed Passover lamb. What child is this? He is the power of God. He is the precious cornerstone. He is the prophet, a great rabbi, the resurrection and the life. He is the righteous branch, the righteous one. He is the rock and the root of David. He is the ruler of God's creation, the ruler of the kings of the earth. He is our savior. He is the son of David, the son of God. He is the son of man, the son of the most high God. He is our mediator. He is the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. What child is this? He is the stone the builders rejected, the true bread, the true light, the true vine. He is the way, the truth, and the life, he is the very word of God. This, my friends, is Christ the King. On all the cards that you get during this Christmas season that depict a manger scene, this is Christ the King. Listen to what the book of Hebrews says answering the question of what child is this? 
This is the son whom God appointed heir over all things, through whom God also created the worlds. He, this is Jesus, is the reflection of God's glory in the exact imprint of God's very being. And he, Jesus, this little baby in a manger, sustains all things by the power of his word. Your breathing right now is sustained by Jesus. Your heartbeat right now is sustained by Jesus. The only thing keeping your DNA and atoms and molecules intact is the very word of Jesus. We take them for granted. We go about our days. We've got our shopping lists. We complain about this. We celebrate that. It's the coming and going. It's the natural rhythm of life. And William Dix in What Child Is This reminds us that this is Christ the King. Christ the King. Paul, in writing to the church in Colossae, writes this in his letter, Colossians. Chapter 1, verse 15, he is, Jesus speaking, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things in heaven and on earth were created. Things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself, this is Jesus, is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he might come to have first place in everything. What child is this? Scripture says this child absolutely must be first place in everything in our lives. First before our work, First before our family, first before our friends, first before our possessions, first before our dreams, first before our complaints, first before ourselves. It's the very thing that our souls, our hearts, our minds deeply long for. That we think perhaps we'll find peace or rest or joy and satisfaction and in getting that gift, in getting this bill of health, in moving into that zip code, in getting that degree, in getting that job or getting that promotion or, or making it to that pay scale. Scripture says this, this child is the one you've been looking for your entire life. But William Dix in this hymn goes deeper. He asks the question, what child is this? He sets the scene. He answers the question, this is Christ the King, but he pushes in deeper. Listen to this. After that answer, this is Christ the King, there's a sense of urgency and it says, haste, haste to bring him law, the babe, the son of Mary. He's saying, hey, urgently, quickly, now. 
Don't put it off. Don't wait till next year. Don't wait until you get to next Sunday. Right now, in this moment, bring him laud. Bring him praise. Bring him worship. Bring him honor. Bring him your time, your talent, your treasure. Bring him your, your attention. He is Christ the King. If you begin to realize just a fraction of who he actually is, how he alone is worthy of all praise, all honor, all worship, then you would bring it to him now. But he goes deeper. This is verse two. Why lies he in such mean a state where ox and ass are feeding? Again, we just talked about uh, the excellency, the, the magnificence, the glory of Jesus Christ who sustains all things by the power of his word. And yet this one is born in a lowly place, in a mean estate. Very different than the air-conditioned rooms of the local hospital. I mean, I want you to think about this. Think about, uh, I know you know this answer, where were you born? Chances are the vast majority of you listening, like me, were born in a hospital. If not in a hospital, you were born in a home, likely in a place where there was a roof over your head. There was perhaps a restroom nearby. You were out of the sun when you were born. You were in some sort of controlled climate. The Son of God, the Savior of the world was born alongside livestock in a place that you might say that was unfit for any human being, yet alone unfit for a king. And not just any king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. You see, as we go throughout life, we find ourselves in different circumstances of life. The lows and the highs of life. You know, there's the mundaneness of life, but there's also deep, deep lows and there's high, high highs. I think about this last week. I think about people who I know. High of highs. I know somebody who got married last week. Highest of highs. I know people who lost their mother-in-law and brother-in-law within a 48-hour period. And if we had a king of kings, a lord of lords, a, a savior of the world that only lived in the upper echelon of existence, that only lived on the throne, that only lived in climate control conditions, having people worshiping him, angels and shepherds and people, we would have a king, we would have a savior that in certain seasons of our life, we wouldn't relate to. You know, when things are good, when we're in a celebratory mode, we can relate to the Jesus on the throne. We can relate to Jesus who is turning water into wine. We like that kind of a Jesus. But if he was only that kind of a person, only that kind of a God in the flesh, what about the moments where we lose our job? Where something that we've been looking forward to for months falls through? Where we lose a loved one? Where we have such a deep relational rift between someone in our life that we just can't shake it, the brokenness of that deep relationship? What would we do in those moments? You see, William Dix reminds us that this great savior of the world started his life here on earth in the lowliest of low places. 
In fact, the prophet Isaiah said many centuries before Jesus' birth, foreshadowing through prophecy about his life, that he would be a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He is someone who altogether understands what it is like to experience loss and heartache. You see Jesus celebrate, but you also see Jesus weep throughout his life. And so what William Dix is talking about is, in theological terms, the beauty of the incarnation of Christ. This is the Son of God incarnating, coming in the flesh. But again, he comes in the flesh into the lowest points of human existence. You see, Jesus can relate to you better than any person, any family member, any friend, any political candidate, any product, any experience can ever relate to. There is no one in all of existence that can meet you in the midst of what's going on in your heart and in your mind and in your life like Jesus can. Why was he born in such mean a state? As the writer puts, it's because of Christ and his love for you. Who, as it says in Philippians chapter 2, didn't consider equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself and he took the form of a human. And not just any human, but as a helpless baby. And he humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross. And what I love about this carol is that immediately he bookends the the life of Jesus, those 30, 33 years here on earth, he bookends his whole life with the moment of beginning and the moment of end, which is a side note or an odd way to describe the eternal existence of Jesus, the Son of God. He's always existed. Jesus is uncreated and yet came in the flesh in this lowly estate, born among livestock. And it goes on. It says, good Christian fear for sinners here. The silent word is pleading. Nails, spear shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. He immediately goes to the cross. He talks about the beginning of his life in such low estate. And he talks about the end of his life crucified on a cross the most inhumane, the most humiliating, the most excruciatingly painful way anyone could die, he dies on a cross. And what a great reminder in this hymn, as we ask the question, the most important question of all, what child is this? That we should picture Jesus, the bookends of his life, in suffering, in discomfort. Not in a way that makes us uncomfortable, or makes us suffer, but in a way that we can realize that Jesus relates to our suffering. He relates to our sorrow. He relates to our discomfort. And in the midst of the bookends of his life, there is this invitation. Did you hear it? Let's go back. Good Christian fear for sinners here. The silent word is pleading. Again, of all the titles of Jesus that I read earlier, one of those titles is the Word of God. And the Word of God is this invitation to you and to me. William Dix so brilliantly 
takes this historical context and he brings it to this present moment and says that this one wasn't just a historical figure who lived and died, but lives now and is pleading to you, pleading to you through the noise of life, through the noise of everything going on in this season, through the highs and lows, there is a voice that is extending an invitation to you to believe to trust, to open up your heart, to receive Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior. He presses in and he goes on, says this. So bring him incense, gold and myrrh. Come peasant king to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. Again, we need to understand this older English language, again, written in the 1800s. A few things here. So bring him incense, gold, and myrrh. It hearkens to the, the wise men who came to bring their gifts before the baby Jesus. And in the same way that they brought praise and they brought presents and they brought treasures to lay before this baby, who is the King of Kings, who is the Lord of Lords, so we too should bring our gifts before this child, born in lowly estate, crucified out of love for us. And as he goes on, he says, it's not just for a certain class of citizen. It's not just for a certain segment of people. In fact, William Dick says this, to repeat, come, peasant and king. No matter who you are in life, whether a peasant or a king, whether in rags or royalty, whether poor or privileged, no matter who you are, no matter what your background, this is an invitation to you to come to know him as Lord and Savior. And as he says, let loving hearts enthrone him. You see, Jesus is king regardless of who we say he is. But there's this great invitation to allow Jesus to sit on the throne of our hearts. And when we do that, everything begins to fall into place. You see, it's so easy to allow other things to sit on the throne of our heart, the throne of our mind. We, we crown various things. You know, we put as the Lord of our life other people's opinion of us, and we're constantly chasing that. We put as Lord of our life perhaps having a certain level of wealth or health or status in the world. We can have all these different things that we enthrone in our lives, and this hymn reminds us that there's only one who is worthy of that, and it's Jesus the Christ. So enthrone him in your life. Invite Jesus to be your king of kings, your Lord of lords, your savior. What does that look like? It's to acknowledge in no matter what you are experiencing right now, that God is good. That God is for you and not against you. And that there's a sense of trust that even if things have been going so great, that it's nothing compared to the greatness of Jesus Christ leading you in your life. And it's also, no matter how awful perhaps things have been in your life, that there is a loving God who wants to, to lead you, 
not just out of this season, but through this season to transform you more and more in the image of Christ. The silent word is pleading. Can you hear? Amidst all the noise, will loving hearts enthrone him? Will your heart enthrone him? Raise, raise the song on high. The virgin sings her lullaby. Joy, joy, for Christ is born. The babe, the son of Mary. I want to go back to a theme that was earlier on in this hymn, and it was the theme of shepherd. Jesus says about himself in John chapter 10 that he is the great shepherd. I want you to hear this. And I want you to imagine this scene unfolding. This is again, John 10. Jesus speaking very truly, I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way is a thief and a bandit. But the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. And John writing says this, Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. You see, in ancient times, in the first century in which Jesus was speaking into, they were very familiar with shepherds. Not in these multi-level, uh, multi-organized, just phenomenally organized uh, livestock pens, but these shepherds out in the wilderness, they literally had to create some sort of structure to keep the sheep protected. Not only from themselves, but any bandits that would jump in and kill them and take them out. And so often they would take sticks and bushes and branches and they would literally create a pen around the sheep. And in ancient times, the shepherd would every night lay down in front of the gate, the opening, literally sacrifice their comfort as they would lay down to keep the sheep in and keep the bandits out. And they were very familiar with this imagery. They'd be perhaps walking at night. They would be seen shepherds building these structures, having the sheep in and a shepherd laying down to protect the ones that he loved and those that were in his charge. Though they didn't understand, John pushes in. Verse seven, so again, Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm the one who lays down, not just my body, but my life for these ones whom I love. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief, this is the enemy of God, comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. What child is this? This is the great shepherd who was born in such lowly estate that human shepherds bore witness to the lamb of God being born in this world. 
Who is this child? This is the Lamb of God who was killed for you and for me, who laid down his life out of love for you and for me. What child is this? This is the one whom you've been looking for in all the decisions and all the choices and all the buying that you've been doing. Underneath all of that is the provider of all things, the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Lords, Jesus the Christ, who sustains you, who loves you, who came to be with you. So friends, in this season, this Advent season, no matter what's going on in our life, as we ask many questions, would we ask and answer this question, what child is this? This is Christ the King. Not just Christ a King, this is Christ my King. Because I've chosen to have him be Lord and Savior of my life. He laid down his life for me. So I want to give him my life in return. This is, friends, what it means for us to follow Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone. We follow a Jesus that wasn't just a historical figure, but he is reigning and ruling over all. And when he is enthroned in our hearts and in our lives, we become children of the God most high. We become part of the kingdom of God. And we get to be used by God in this world to be literally the hands and feet of Jesus, to be ambassadors for Christ. And as we live in the space between the two arrivals of Christ, we get to be part of what God is doing here on earth, reconciling people to God. And so would you choose in this season right now to be reconciled back to God through Jesus Christ? Maybe you've fallen away. Maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. Come back to him. He loves you. He adores you. Friends, what child is this? This is the king who loves you. Let's pray. Jesus, as we gather in this place, in this worship service, spiritually united in Christ, though we are physically apart, may we enthrone you in our hearts and may it change how we live in love now and forevermore. In Jesus' name I pray and we say together, amen.